Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. today, Beverly. I'm doing great, Jenny. How are you? Oh, super duper. We just celebrated my husband's mumble, mumble, mumble birthday today. (laughs) And uh, my daughters took great pleasure in telling him he was um, middle-aged, which at this point, math says probably not. Um, A little (laughs) bit past that um, would be our guess, but it was a lot of fun um, teasing him about it. We took him to a Mexican restaurant to have the traditional Mexican hat singing party as you (laughs) As you wish him a happy birthday. And it was super fun. Oh, that's so, yeah. delicious. It was very delicious. And there are there are copious leftovers. Oh, that's wonderful. Jim and I had our occasional meal that we have, which is brie cheese, salami, and crackers. Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I like um sort of a charcuterie sort of a meal. This is um, a that's quick one. charcuterie. <laughs> yeah, we've we've always really enjoyed just grabbing. I mean, the fanciest of the cheap crackers, Ritz, mm-hmm. and throwing whatever on them, sliced cheeses and grabbing some um, pepperonis and other other meats and having a good time of it seems seems like a delicious and easy meal. Yep. Good summertime meal. So what have you been Absolutely. selling? I, I have, I, I mean, I've switched. So as you know, I Ooh. binge sew. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my jam is binge sewing. I try a dress. I, if I like it, I'll make eight and see what happens from there. Um, and it can definitely go far, far further than that, <laughs> but doesn't always. Um, but I've recently started revisiting the Adriana dress by Friday Pattern Company. Now that is their big dramatic sleeve with an elastic shoulder and elastic wrist dress. They make both a woven and a knit version. The knit version mm-hmm. is called Adrienne. And it's called a blouse. I extend it to skirt to a dress length usually. And the woven version is called Adriana or Adriana. And I love it. So it is, um, to be really clear, it does not come up fully to my hip size. I do have to extend it. They are expanding that pattern. So that is that is good and bad. What I find is I am not satisfied with fitting within the ease. So I do have to angle out my skirt pieces, but I do that with the simplest method possible. Um, I pick the point below my bust or my chest where I want to start angling out. And I use a long quilting ruler to go between that and the bottom hem of the skirt, which I've also angled out, right? Because it's it's got to keep going, but angling that way. So I just take a nice straight line straight down and then continue. The skirt has a slight curve to the hem. So I, I do that as well. It comes so, out beautifully. How do you know how wide to make the hem? Because I just, I mean, we'll discuss my recent disaster slash worked out okay problem uh, <laughs> child in a minute, but I don't know how to how to know how far out to go. So, I mean, for me, there are some practical things that give me the answer to that. I am fairly wide. The fabric I'm sewing with is often 44 inches Mm. and that's the limit. That's how far out I can go. Now, in a, a more nuanced way, if I had as much width as I might want for the fabric, I tend to look at it as how, so starting from my pivot point at the, the waist or the high, 
waist, wherever it is I'm going to pivot out where I've decided that's where my skirt begins. Okay. Starting from that point to where it is the number of inches I require at my hip. Okay. I can make a straight line and go from there. And that's most likely the straight line I'm going to make. The exception to that is where if I take that straight line, the skirt will be shorter than I want because I run into the self edge before I get to the bottom of the dress. Uh At which point after I pass the hip line, I'll start tapering the angle so that it's a less steep angle. So I might have say an extreme 45 degree angle. Let's say that's what I'm doing for the skirt, but I'm going to run out before the bottom. Uh So at the hip, I would make it a flatter angle coming down to hit the selvage where I need to, to make the hem work. I know that's a complicated sounding set of instructions, but if you're working on your flat pattern, it's pretty easy to figure out where the pivot is. Right. And so practically speaking, it's usually defined by the width of the fabric for me because that's the way my body and most knee length patterns are going to work for that skirt on a dress. That explains why I got the result I did, but we'll we'll talk more about that in a bit. So, yeah, so so I've been working on those and I'm doing variations, right? So this is a um, sort of tenty dress, but not super tenty on me the way it's designed. I'd have to add more, a lot more ease to get that tent look, but it's, it's basically a narrow A-line with big puffy ass sleeves and bust starts. That's what you've got going on there. And I've been varying the length of the sleeves. So from wrist to just below elbow, because at elbow is annoying, above elbow, might as well make the sagebrush, you know, so I'm kind of going between wrist and elbow. And I've been adding a waist by putting a tie on it, just self-fabric tie to go around the waist, or by putting a twill tape casing on the inside about two inches above where my natural waist would be and adding elastic inside of that to pull it in. I've also considered putting buttonholes at the front and running a tie through it so that it could be cinched and tied, but with using the casing instead of what I'm doing currently. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like the elastic. I like that elastic look. I have used that on sagebrush dresses. I have used it in on uh, Ruby uh, by Made by Ray. I've used it for that dress as well. And on the Trillium, actually, I've gone all the way around the waist that way before too. So that's one I'm I'm fond of. I've also made one now out of uh, a black crocheted lace that's very see-through. There's, there's no secrets when you're wearing this dress. Oh, I and saw that one. I love it. I did that one with a slight drop waist. It drops about two to three inches below my natural waist and then has a gathered skirt that goes to a midi length. And when I wore it for the photographs, I used a pair of very solid black underwear and a black bra underneath it. If I wear it out and about, I'm likely to make a sleeveless black romper or Mm -hmm. something similar or a sleeveless black leotard with slight legs to wear with it because it seems like it would be more comfortable for sitting on a chair. Ah. <laughs> and since I, I do enjoy sitting from time to time, that seemed like it would make sense to me. So I've, I've done that as well. Yeah. And then I've also made a couple of Chris Woods dresses just to, you know, mix it up a little bit with my last obsession. Um, and in fact, recently had fabric printed that looks like um, the rainbows of the pride flag with um, the black power fist and uh, trans flag colors as well. So that's one that I'm planning to make a a late pride dress out of using the Chris Woods parasol design. And then finally, (laughs) 
I've got two weird things I'm doing that are not my jam usually, but I'm excited for them. My older daughter has been engaged for a while and they were getting married initially in July of 2022. And then they decided that was too long to wait. And they moved that forward to January. They were going to do it for the anniversary of when they started dating in January Mm -hmm. of 2022. And then about a week ago, a local event announced that they were doing weddings on Main Street, and they decided to do that. And that'll be on July 10th. Oh, So, so we've moved forward just a little bit. My older granddaughter has decided the color of the wedding will be purple. And so I'm going to be making myself a purple Adriana dress to wear to this wedding. And I think I'm going to do it with a three or four tiered skirt on it. I thought that would be kind of fun. I'm going to use for that one. It'll be a uh, poplin Ah. is what I'm going to use. And it's actually one that my company, Kickash, created. And so it'll be, um, I think that'll be fun. It's purple with the faces that you can draw if you never take your pencil off the page. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, right, yeah. The outlines. So I'm going to do do that for that and then for my my granddaughter, we went shopping and she found a dress she loved, but it's the wrong size for her. It came from um she's a preteen and this was a teenager dress, so mm. it she'd need to be 6 inches taller. So I'm going to take the dress and deconstruct it at the waist, shorten the bodice and attach the skirt again. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah, the back right now has a full zip on it, but I'm going to remove the zip and put a button at the base of the neck and a, a, at the base of the neck and at the base of the back, and the rest of it will be able to open, but it won't be open much, just the slightest bit. Um, if it's open too much, I'll put some uh, sheer netting or something there, but it'll be a nice, just a nice little dress for her to wear for that occasion as well. So, oh, that's great. So yeah. Altering a thing, not my jam in any way, but for my granddaughter, I'll, I'll do whatever she needs to, to make the dress of her dreams come true. Even if she decided that was not a dress that grandma made, it would be a dress she purchased and grandma altered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations to your daughter and your family. Yeah. We're very excited. It's going to be fun. And my mother is getting sprung from her nursing home to attend the ceremony oh, fully masked and she can't stay and eat a meal because she'd have to take her mask off, but we can bring the meal back with her to the nursing oh, home. So great. that'll be exciting. That's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now I expect you have also been just binge sewing like mad. What have you done? Well, sort of. I mean, I've done a lot <laughs> of the Helen's closet Ashton tops, right? I'm going to have, mm-hmm. so So this week, um, well, I did two more versions of it. The first one, I did exactly what you said in the last time we talked. And I did a little video. We we should maybe, when we do those, put it to highlight, do a highlights of things like that. (laughs) If if we're proven wrong later about things, we'll just take it off. Um, (laughs) That one, I showed the all-in-one facing and the hem facing for, for that for that top. And that was a crop top. It's a little short for me, even though I added a couple inches to it and I'm five foot nine. So I think it's drafted for someone five foot six. And they say to add like, like the half the difference for the top and bottom. I'm a little, maybe I'm a little long waisted. So anyways, it's a little short for me, but, um, I do (laughs) like that one. 
And the other one I decided to turn into an A-line dress. So I did it a little differently. I took, you know, the <laughs> I just thought, well, the top is coming down. Just keep going. So I just I mean, yeah, you could. Um, I but <laughs> I just kept the line straight going. And so that was fine until I somehow this has a dramatic print on it. And it's nice fabric. There's no, there's no excuse that the fabric was off grain, but I somehow cut it <laughs> off grain. I don't know. I shouldn't have, it has a dramatic pattern. I should not have cut it on the fold. I should have cut it flat because right. I definitely screwed up. But anyway, whatever. So I, I give you a, a frantic emergency text saying, <laughs> what do I do? The side looks really awful. And you gave me the great suggestion of making some racing stripes in it. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Like, it seems like a simple thing, right? But I don't yeah. want it to increase the size of the armholes because it's a sleeveless. So I didn't want to ex- increase the, leg- the size of the armholes. So then I said, oh, I'll just make the little stripe into a triangle. And that was trickier than I thought because of seam allowances and all that. Mm-hmm. But mostly it was difficult because I forgot that there's also an all-in-one facing that meets up in the armpits. <laughs> oh, my God. So I do all this, and then I try it on, and somehow it was still too big in the armpits. So I take it apart, and I, I fix all that, and it's pretty good. The one thing is it does not have the hem facing because since the – since I cut it a little off, I had to kind of make the hem different and I was not fiddling with cutting another hem band (laughs) and all that. I just surged around the bottom and then I folded it up and it's really cute. Um, I'm going to show Jenny, but I mean, it's great fabric. It's great fabric. And then it has this on the side, the black on the side and it, it does look cute and I can get away with it because I don't have like my, my, I'm kind of straight up and down in the, in the middle of me. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not a problem getting it over my hips. I, I don't really like this pattern hacking thing. I'm so surprised. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am, I consider myself a cr- creative person. I am, I'm an artist, you are. but like, I do not like that. I want in sewing for the patterns to be written and they make me think about it. I was thinking about, okay, so when it when a pattern comes up to a 50-inch hip, if that's the highest it comes, then Ginny has to add 12 inches to that. So I said, okay, my hips are 42 inches. So that would mean if I found a pattern that only came up to a 30-inch hip, that would be mm-hmm. like taking a child's pattern and making it – like, oh, there's no yep. way in hell that I would draft – I. I can't put racing stripes. I can't take a tank top and make it into a dress. So, so for some fat sewists, they've cultivated the ability to draft and they love it because they, they enjoy drafting. Even if patterns came in their sizes, they would probably end at a space where they wanted to draft a lot of their owns because they have this vision and this other thing. And so that's, that's a thing that happens just like it does for straight side sewists. It's not my world. So in my universe, I learned to draft at 15, 16, because if I didn't draft, I couldn't make a pattern that would fit me. There were no other options for it. And so I'm more practiced at it. I don't even consider a lot of the drafting I do 
to be hacks. It's just, it's what you have to do to have things that fit once your body's a certain size. And I'm, I'm obviously discovering so many more designers that do go out far enough to include my body, but I am so used to it not being a thing that I start to bulk at 15 or 20 inches and I don't want to do any inches, Yeah. but if it's a 10 inch difference, at least I know that's pretty easy <laughs> because I understand how it works, right? I've done it enough and it depends on the pattern. There are patterns where it'd be like, oh shit, I don't even want to make that if I have to go that much bigger. But there are lots of patterns where you might have say four seams or six seams going around the width of it. If you're only trying to add 10 inches divided by four, that's two and a half inch per seam right? That you've got to get in there and each seam's got two sides. And so there's, there's just, there's math that gets you there that isn't as daunting as 10 inches would be or 12 inches would be. But the further up you get, the more thoughtfulness there has to be. And because I'm blessed with a short waist and a significant hip to waist difference, it, it gets the place, it gets complicated even when it's drafted to my size is skipping over four sizes between my waist and my hips in a matter of four to six inches of depth, right? That's, it, it really is. I've joked about it before, but there are literally patterns where to do that, I would be doing a 45 degree angle, which isn't really how my body looks, but it is what the, because my body's rounder than that, but that is what the math says. right? Right. And so it's, it's interesting and I, it's it's too burdensome, it's too much, it's not appropriate to require home sewists to do that, et cetera. But it is sort of second nature after a point if you choose to stay in the sewing game, yeah. even yeah. once you've realized that the sewing game doesn't necessarily want you there. <laughs> and- yeah, I mean, definitely it's given you more skills at that to, to do things that even like, for example, in the case that I'm doing here, I'm not doing this because the Ashton top doesn't come in my size. I'm doing it because I wanted something different than the Ashton mm-hmm. top was. I wanted to make something. Yeah. And to be honest, the next time I'm just going to find a dress that looks like <laughs> what I want to <laughs> make and I'll buy that pattern. I mean, I that's just not that's not my thing, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's not really mine and I'm and I'm being more forceful about not doing it now. Mm-hmm. But I still end up doing it sometimes because I love a thing enough that I'm going to do it. But you also are very comfortable like your skills gained from that have made you very comfortable with taking a a, a t-shirt and making it into a dress. Taking oh, yeah, a for sure. top and making it into a dress and just knowing the proportions that you need to work yeah. with. And whereas with me, now I have to say if if I had not screwed up the grain on this, maybe I would have a different feeling about it, you know? And, and you might, and that might make a difference. And I can tell you that if you had to do this 20 or 30 times a year, mm-hmm. you'd just be used to it. And in some cases you'd be like, yeah, it's not really going to be worth the effort. So I'll do X instead. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. There's some pluses and some minuses all in all. I'd rather have things designed for me, but, but I'm thankful for the skills I've gained because they've helped me in other spaces, when my children were young, I drafted patterns for them because I couldn't afford to buy patterns. And now that my grandchildren are here, I can buy all the patterns I want, but I'm still drafting for them. One of them, um, due to her size, not being a children's pattern friendly size. Mm -hmm. And the other, because she's, she just has more 
interesting thoughts about what she'd like than the patterns I've been able to locate. And so, so the skills have served me well. I wish I didn't have to have them. I wish I could have chosen whether to have them as it was. It felt like if this was the craft path I was going to pursue, I had no choice, but to develop the skills. Um, And it's certainly easier uh, to learn to draft for my body than it is to change my body to fit what pattern designers would like to see it be. So, so yeah, I hear you. But speaking of pattern designers, oh wait, I'm oh no, you got one more. My apologies. One more thing, and this is not sewing related, but it is something that is maybe like a life hack kind of thing that I've come up with. So, um, I know I've talked about before with you. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast. I don't know if anybody cares on this podcast, but when I walk the top of my thighs rub together. Okay. So Mm -hmm. that happens to lots of people. And, and it's, it's not a problem for me any other time, except for summertime when it's hot and sweaty and I just don't like the feeling of it. And so it keeps me from wearing dresses a lot of times. So I've tried to go and buy these shorts things, but the problem is with a lot of those is that they're, they're, they're drafted for people with the, you, you, choose them based on your hip size, but my waist is large for my hip size. So I have a, you know, so when I buy these things, they fit in my hips just like they're supposed to. And they, they go right up to my natural race waist and squish in real tight and I can't stand them. Yeah. So I came up with a genius idea. (laughs) I, so, um, Jim wears boxer briefs. Yeah. I took a pair of his boxer briefs and put them on. And guess what? They're perfect. They're like, (laughs) they're just like, you know, they're just like underwear, but they keep your thighs from rubbing together. So thought I'd offer that as a, uh, a good little hack. I love it. I am reasonably certain that very few boxer briefs come with the same hip to waist ratio that I have, but I think the idea is really good. That's a great one. I've used bike shorts for for chafing for myself when I rarely have it. Mostly my thighs don't rub against each other so much as they glue to each other and then just let me walk like that. So there's no, um, there's no chafing because they're just best friends. Um, so in the situation is, yeah, I think that the reason that the boxer briefs work for me is that I don't have enough. I, I do not have the same waist definition that a lot of women have. So that that's why the tights are too tight for me. Um, right. So uh, this is my workaround. That's awesome. So we were also going to talk about a whole bunch of new patterns that came out because I think you texted me with like squealing. I could, I could hear the squealing in the text um, regarding Fiber Mood 15 being released and having, I don't know, one or two patterns you thought looked pretty cool. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. So <laughs> we talked about Fiber Mood before. I'm like in love with Fiber Mood right now. And um, I got the subscription. I already bought that before I started my So you My Stash Summer. Um, the hashtag so that you I'm not claim. <laughs> So you claim. I but did. Sure. I did. <laughs> so I have... Um, I can get five PDFs out of this. And um, I think there are five of them that I want too, but I'm just going to talk about a few of them. The first one that I really, uh, that I saw that I really liked is the Vicky dress, V-I-K-K-I. And it's, it's kind of similar to the By Hand London Tamsin dress, isn't it? It is very much so because of that particular detail of the, uh, the folds that are in it. That's, that's really what does it. 
The bodice is very different, but the skirt is similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really neat effect that, of course, you can achieve without ironing in any way. So that's uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the things that's super beautiful about it. Yeah, so this is being recorded on the day that Elisa Lex's episode came out. <laughs> and her face when you told her that you didn't iron to make that. I know, but you know me. I'm not gonna if I don't have to. It's really uncommon. I will say when I pattern test for a designer that includes ironing in their instructions, I follow the instructions religiously for a pattern test. Okay. So all the things that I don't want to do, like marking darts or doing any of those things I 100% do and if they've got me pinning every inch all the way around a thing I do all of that for a pattern test because that's different I'm being compensated to follow the instructions and describe how it works or doesn't work and, yeah and I take that quite seriously it's in my personal sewing that I am as lazy as I can be <laughs> Um, this one's beautiful to me this looks like a really perfect summer dress I love the deep v um, I think the deep V might argue a bit with my cleavage, but I, I really love it. And it'd be pretty easy to shorten that up. I love the shoulders on it, the little gathers in the shoulders. There's just so much to really recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite a lovely dress. It, it, it's beautiful. Um, the next one that uh, you pointed out to me that I also have fallen completely in love with is the Pippa. Oh and God. So, so this dress, this is a really great example of a dress that if it did not come to my bust size, I would probably not bother to try and size it up because it is, this is, I, I had a dress like this when I was in college that I made for myself from a pattern, um, from one of the big four. And I did figure out how to size it up for me. And that was great, but it's created by taking wider panels of fabric and putting either box pleats or knife pleats, any kind of pleat in the fabric to bring it together to get the shaping for the bodice. And then the skirt's fullness is created from those pleats. And first off, the, the marking, having to mark on this would make me insane. So I would immediately come up with a plan that didn't involve that. Um, <laughs> but, but if I had to expand the sizing on this, that would be, that would be pretty complicated. That would be something where my math skills would probably concern me, making sure I got it evenly <laughs> across what looks like 20 or so pleats, right? And so you'd be increasing very tiny amounts potentially mm -hmm. for each of those or making a decision to say, you know what? I'm gonna put all the extra in the middle pleat at the center, or I'm gonna take all the extra out of yeah. the two side pleats at the sides in order to, to make it functional. So it, it just would be, I think, a little more complicated. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is gorgeous. I hope I've described that well enough, but it's essentially if you pulled your pleats together and then just let them fall as a skirt. So your bodice is so closed in. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it has these little straps on it, which I think both of us would probably like to make a little wider straps oh, yeah. than that so that we could wear whatever ugly bra we want to with it. Absolutely. I would definitely make the straps wider. I might even stick some sort of little like weird ruffle or pleated mm, piece going smart. off as sort of a cap sleeve that's pleated on it smart. or something similar. And with these, because they are so narrow, I would probably go to that effort of putting the bra capture um, loop and snap in. Mm -hmm. 
So you create yeah, your, yeah, yeah. your yeah, chain uh-huh. stitch loop, right? You do that. I'd probably actually put the bra capture loop in because I think it would help me. <laughs> so I have a question for you and it's not so much on this one because of the straps are small on this, but, um, in general, so I have figured out now that I have this, um, like not, not very slope, sh- flat shoulders. Like my shoulders are just like a dramatic, right. how, how do I say that? It's more like a right angle from my neck instead of <laughs> down. Right. 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 And, um, so what I need to do, I, I figured out this adjustment and it changes everything for me to just take a little off at the right. inside point. Okay. So I still think if I was wearing a strapped dress that I would need to do that because I think what would happen is the front would go like make an extra bit of cloth. Unless your shoulders are being different, you would still want to make that adjustment. So if your shoulders are the same in both scenarios, I mean, genuinely, and they should be because you're probably not wearing, for example, a bra with a shoulder pad built in on the shirt where you're making the adjustment. If your natural shoulder is going to be the same, you'd still need to make an adjustment. Well, I guess what I don't understand is how you do that when it's just a strap instead of... I think it's a placement issue more than it is anything else. And the angle at the back that you're pulling it in at. So you're, you're going to change the angle through the changing of the placement of the straps. And this is one where you'll benefit from having a partner who can try not to poke you as they help lay the straps into the right space in the back and the front, because you can change the angle, both front and back to get it to lay flat, which is what I have to do with mine as well. Okay. And I bet I will, because I know that for fiber mood patterns, I have to do that um, even more than other patterns, that adjustment. So I'll definitely need to. uh, It's a good thing to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's your next favorite? The next one is the Chloe top. Oh my God. And that has to be a mini dress. We have to wear it with patent leather boots. Up to our knees. And then. And what? Up to our knees, the patent leather boots. For sure. Possibly (laughs) thigh high. What I'm saying is this is a mini skirt. We're going to need underwear that matches because it's going to be seen. (laughs) <laughs> and you need those knee high or thigh high boots because I think that's more practical for us than strappy sandals with a stiletto heel. Yes. So I think, I think so. that's what we need. And then um, I I am not as big a dancer as I could be, but I'm happy to go stand somewhere to be seen. That's so, uh, that. So let me describe the top. Um, <laughs> it's a top that you could easily make into a dress. And yeah. what it is, is basically a... Um, uh, it's a, first of all, it's only on one shoulder and it, the yoke, I guess, goes from one shoulder and then under the other arm and then back up and it ties. And then off of that yoke, that's kind of sash yoke is a ruffled top. So you just could extend that down and whatever angle you feel comfortable with. And then, um, you would have this really billowy out one shouldered, dress. Yes. And is that a good description? That is a great description. If you search on Lizzo orange tiered dress, you will find what I want to make out of it. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Not the same, but enormously similar. 
Mine is going to look just like the one in the magazine. <laughs> yes, that sounds right. And mine is definitely going to going to be a Lizzo homage. Um, because how could you not want that? That is spectacular. So that what what Jenny showed me, and we will link in the show notes, is a picture of Lizzo wearing um, a one-shouldered, tiered, roughly orange dress. Beautiful. Yeah, that is incredibly similar to what it is that Fiber Mood has done here, but it is tiered where the Fiber Mood one is not necessarily, right? And it is, she wore this to some award ceremony with the teeny tiniest, the itsy bitsiest little purse you have ever seen, like smaller than your hand. And um, it was in photos for days. I have made a knit version out of ice cream cone fabric. That was my attempt at a, at something similar, but I've never found a pattern for doing it in a woven, which is what this seems to call for. And so I'm excited to put together my own version um, of Lizzo's absolutely amazing tiered dress. And so thank you to Fiber Mood for making my dreams come true (laughs) when I'm allowed to buy things again after Sew Your Stash Summer. (laughs) (sighs) Jenny hates me for starting that. I, you know, I've got a lot of questions about how you're not the top user of the hashtag, except you probably are, but you definitely don't use it enough. And so I'm just going to make the argument that, that I should not be bound to a thing (laughs) that isn't being used enough by you. (laughs) But, but that said, Fiber Mood is making it really hard this time because there's also this next one that, um, that I know you loved is the Viola top. Yes. Which is to me, it's like the perfect little summer picnic-y top. Totally. It's um it's am I looking at the wrong one? No, no, that totally is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm sorry. I'm like, shit, did I pull up the wrong pattern? Yeah. But no, this is this is a little fitted, uh fitted bodice with a ruffle right where your um lower bra band might be, right below the chest. You've got um, a little peplum-y ruffle, except it's not so much a peplum as it looks gathered like a little ruffly thing. It's got narrower straps than I'd prefer, but they're great straps. And oh my God, if you put a matching ruffle on them, it would be, it would be so adorable. And it buttons up the back, as I recall. Oh, it does? I think, oh, I thought it was up the front. Um, maybe you're right. I think it's the back. Okay. Because um, I, I think there's darts up the front. Okay. I um I can't see because I've got it on a tiny little piece of paper and you have it in a yeah it, it definitely it looks like a back button um okay. and the the peplum because of the way that it comes up it sort of follows the natural shape of um of a curvy chest mm-hmm. um so it's got a little bit of a um a wave to the front of it where it attaches so it's following oh. as if you had underwires in there you don't it doesn't appear to have that but following that. And of course it's a princess scene that leads up to straps that you would adjust to make work properly for you. It's a really great candidate in my mind for something where you add six inches to the length of the strap and slap some buttonholes in there so that you can crisscross them or put them Mm. in the normal position. So I think it's got some potential. Um, What I don't know is how the ease really is on the models that they've used. It looks sufficiently fitted 
that you might be able to go uh, braless depending on the size of your personal anatomy um, because it looks like a really close fitting front mm. to the So I, I think really, it's interesting. I think what drew me to it was it reminds me of something I had for, for my Barbie dolls. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially if you put it in a check and you put it with matching check, like clam diggers or something. Mm, or like cigarette pants. Yeah. Cigarette pants. It's everybody's Barbie doll. Um, yeah. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I love that one. That's another one that I think is really lovely. It's one I'm less likely to make because it doesn't, it doesn't fit into my aesthetic. I don't think I'd extend it down as a dress. Um, I have a dress that's not the same, but similar enough that does mm -hmm. what I want. Um, yeah. The, I think it's called the Holyoke by Cashmeret um, that has that tight fitted bodice. They yeah. happen to do that one as a gourd skirt that you could easily gather a peplum type skirt onto it. So, so yeah, good call. Yeah. Okay. Should we talk about this month's theme? Absolutely. So if you've been following along, if you've been playing our game at home, you have already gone and looked and listened to our musical cue. And it is so incredibly obvious you have to have gotten the answer right. I, I don't think this one's got any doubt. And that would be, of course, Neil Young's Old Man, which is a great song anyway. Okay. Um, and uh, that leads us to this month's hashtag, which is... Hashtag PF old is new. That's right. And what's that going to mean for us? So let's kind of break it down. So one of the thing is you could sew something that's been in your stash for a long time. Um, when I dig down to the bottom of my stash, I inevitably find something and think, oh God, yeah, I loved that. Why haven't I used it? And that's a perfect candidate for this. That's a thing you could sew something that you've just had for ages. And ages is variable depending on who you are. I yeah. sewed through my stash at least three separate times during the course of the pandemic. So I have very little that's older than the last time I sewed through my stash. But mm -hmm. if it's been in the stash the longest, it would count. Right. And so also um, it, it counts for Sew My Stash Summer. Oh my goodness, it does. And for another one, we're going to mention a little bit later, the Whole30 Fabric Challenge. That's right. um, which is another one for sewing through your stash. So but do you want to describe addiction, what the whole 30 sewing challenge is? Absolutely. So the whole 30 sewing challenge by pink mimosa by Jacinta is, um, and we'll link to that in the show notes is a challenge whose idea is that instead of setting a time like this summer, so your stash summer that you're not going to buy things instead, you're going to sew through 30 yards of your stash before you can purchase new things. And it begins on July 5th. So that's when you're going to start looking for those hashtags for this one. And, uh, and you're going to try and sew 30 yards of your stash before you succumb to replenishing your stash. Now, this does require, seemingly, that your stash be 30 yards deep. Yes. Um, for me, this is no challenge at all. Um, <laughs> I could probably pull one box and find 30 yards of fabric in it. But for some folks, that may be more of a challenge. Um, in addition, it'll be easier for me to accomplish this one than it will be for you to accomplish this one, um, because a dress for me takes between three and seven yards of fabric. <laughs> and so depending on what dress I'm making, I could make four and a half dresses and sew through my stash or um, worst case scenario, I would end up making 10 to sew through my stash. And I do that on an average two to three weekends. <laughs> so it's not a 
it's not a huge challenge for me, but it's an interesting way of thinking about my stash that I haven't considered previously. So I, I, I really like the idea of this one. This is one I'm hoping um, to remember to use the hashtag and participate in, yeah. even though I'm absolutely garbage at remembering hashtags and participating in anything. <laughs> it's well, true. Another part of this challenge is refashioning, either refashioning clothes that you already own or refashioning something that you've bought um, or something that you get from a thrift store. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But we also are including things that are just older style, like vintage. Absolutely. And we've seen folks participate in previous challenge by using older style dresses. There was the um, the drop waist 20s or 30s dress that was the one hour dress yes. that took considerably more than one hours and possibly um, some words that aren't commonly associated with polite society at the era <laughs> it represents. And uh, that would be an obvious one. It might be older patterns that you have that you purchased thrifting, inherited from family, um, or just your yourself purchased many years ago. That might be an option. Um, and And out of print patterns, which are typically by definition, a little bit older, any of those types of things might work. And um, if you if you have thought of something that would qualify as uh, old as new, that we haven't thought of, that's also okay for this challenge. Throwing on vintage buttons from your mom's button jar makes something old new. Another thing that um, I'd like to throw out there, because we always try to include something that somebody doesn't have to sew something for is if you made something a long time ago and maybe oh. you're not wearing it, then that's old as new. If you start wearing it now. That's absolutely true. That's um, definitely true. And in some cases for me, I know there are things that I made a long time ago that I've given my children that they now wear. Oh. And that's uh, that's another option for a photo opportunity that involves no purchase and no sewing just yeah. showing off a thing that found new life in a different way. So that's a great idea. I like it. That's great. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things related to the ethics of sewing and textiles and fashion that we thought we'd sort of chat about in a, what we hope is a largely non-judgmental way. Um, okay. If you hear judgment in what we're saying, it's probably levied at our own selves. It's something where we have uncomfortable feelings around practices we've held in the past or maybe even hold still. And uh, so that may be coming through. Try and um, try and be aware that we're not we're not trying to judge the decisions you make so much as throw some information out there that that's worth talking about and thinking about. Yeah, I um, we're going to be talking a bit about salvaging textiles, and this is not in any way, you know, Jenny and I do lots of sewing with brand new spanking new fabrics. We are not judging people for using new fabric. Um, we are not judging people for any of these decisions. We just mm -hmm. want to talk about some of the things you might want to think about. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know one of the things that's near and dear to your heart is ready to wear clothing and some of the ethical considerations around that. I know that's part of what led you into sewing so frequently. It's true. We haven't talked too much about it on the um, podcast, and I'm also not judging anyone for buying ready-to-wear clothing. Fast fashion is something that I am happy to to get out of. That's not that's my decision. So even very expensive clothing in this country, in probably any country can be produced from really bad practices. Clothing, I think a lot of Americans believe that the 
garment workers who are underpaid or all people who work in Bangladesh or in China. And that's not true. Uh, I grew up in California and Los Angeles is loaded with sweatshops from people who are underpaid or working in terrible conditions. So people are treated poorly who make garments. What I'm saying about this is that anyone who sews is doing something to help that situation. And I think people should feel good about that. And I also think that it's not any one person's responsibility to to stop this practice. I mean, we all, we just do what we can. And it's very hard to identify where your clothes are made. I know that some people will always try to buy clothes made in the United States because they think that they avoid this problem. And it's unfortunately not true. There are, I think if you can count on it being ethically made, if you buy it from Elizabeth Suzanne or, or uh, Alabama Shannon or something, but you're, you're going to pay a lot of money <laughs> for those clothes. So, so that matters. That's really important to be aware of. I know that when my children were young, I made their clothing, not out of a love of making clothing for them, not because as a mom, I was just so enamored of their shiny little bottoms that I needed to be the one to cover them with things I made with my own hands. But because at that time in the United States where I lived, it would cost me more to buy clothing at Walmart or Sears than it would cost me to make clothing. So I made their clothing because it was a budgetary choice that I made. Now it is less expensive often for me to buy clothing from Target or Walmart, particularly on clearance, than I would spend on the fabric, the pattern, the sewing notions, leaving my time out. Just the cost of materials might exceed the cost that I would pay at those, those locations. And so there is an economic impact there that obviously that helps you to understand if you're paying that little for clothing, how much can they be paying for the labor on the clothing? But from the perspective of somebody who's not got the budget to pay for materials to make things for their children or themselves because of the, the comparative low cost of clothing, I, it's a choice you have to make for yourself with your exactly. with your budget, and it's one that I I would never judge. I've I've been very poor. Yeah. Um. I've I've been very poor, and it is a hard place to be, and you always feel the weight of judgment while you're there. And so, so folks have to make their their own decisions regarding works best what works best for them. Exactly. Given that that the situation is what it is, as far as there there is a lot of in the United States, and I know many other countries excess clothing. People are not keeping clothing very long anymore. And it's not because the clothing is all worn out. People get rid of clothing much more quickly. The, the turnover for fashion is much faster. Um, there are people who, who need to keep their clothing a long time because they can't afford to buy more clothing. But in general, the, the turnover of fashion is very, very quick. And that's, that's increased dramatically. I'll, I'll list in the show notes some sources for the information that I provide here. Uh, I'm not going to give them for each thing, but I, I will put them in the show notes so you can look at them if you'd like. So one thing I did want to talk about, because this was something that was surprising to me. I watched a documentary a while ago that talked about what happens to the items that we donate to charity shops. And so I donate a lot of things to charity shops, and I didn't know this. So I think that what people think is you donate something to a charity shop, somebody else buys it, it's wonderful, it goes to a new home, and that's that's great. And that happens to about 10% of the donated items that, that go to charity shops. So I am making a distinction here between 
vintage thrift stores that have select items that they choose what they buy. They, they buy them generally. They do not get um, donations to these kind of vintage, really vintage you know, really cool ones that you go into and they, they have an aesthetic in there and everything. They don't yeah, smell yeah. so funny, you know. I'm I don't the- know as much about those because they don't have my sizes. <laughs> they, they really don't. They, they don't have my size. <laughs> you know, the things from, from 1940s are difficult. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I will say though, I'm talking about... In the United States, we have the biggest thrift store chain is is Goodwill, and Goodwill does actually a lot of good work for people who work there. They hire people who are nonviolent, people who are incarcerated, previously incarcerated. Um, they hire. My uncle works for one. He it, he has a form of autism that that uh, causes him to have a disability that he can't work a lot of other jobs. And so there there's a lot of good work that they do, and they are able to do that based on the profit that they people donate all these clothes and household items to them you don't get any money for donating to goodwill and then that person th- then they sell them and so they have a system at goodwill and it's a system that most of the charity shops in the united states use which is they have a very limited time that the clothing stays on the floor and the reason for that is that people donate a lot to thrift stores in the united states I don't know if anyone here has tried to donate since the pandemic, but there is long lines. It takes sometimes 45 minutes for us to get through the line to make a donation. So there, um, people are donating a lot, a lot of things. So in the United States, in the Goodwill specifically, items have four weeks on the floor. After four weeks, they are given to a variety of different things. They go to, there's, there's Goodwill outlet stores, which charge by the pound. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of, and those can be kind of fun. Uh, they're generally a little dirtier and a little, a little less, even less organized um, because they're kind of a dumping ground for all these things. And you're just kind of sifting through things. I think a lot of people go there to buy things to resell other places or to make into things. They are a very, that's a very hit or miss, just get what you can kind of situation over in that in that store but after that is it becomes pretty problematic some of the things go to um, making uh, rags and things like this uh, for cleaning up but a lot of it uh, there's some of it that goes to the landfill and then there's a significant percentage of items that end up in other developing countries specifically African countries And this is a very big problem. And the reason that it's a big problem is because the uh, indigenous people who have an industry of making clothing in those countries cannot compete with virtually free clothes coming from the United States. So it's our trash going there. And I actually, I don't know if, if Australia does this and also England and all these other countries, I have no idea, but I know that the United States says this and we dump all this onto these countries. And so the people who were artisans making clothing or even people who had factories over there have all been shut down. Um, it's completely decimated the indigenous market there. So when we, when we donate our clothes, we have to think about that when we, when we, buy new clothes that we're just going to get rid of our old clothes. We should probably think about that. Just think about it. You don't have to change your behavior if you don't want to, but um, it's something to think about. And also we have to think about, you know, what, what ideas we have for what we do um, in the thrift store. So if something's going to be there for four weeks, what are the chances it's going to get sold? So those are just some ideas that I have. I've been going on for a long time. I'm usually not the one talking straight through. I feel uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Well, it's it's interesting because I know I know very little about what happens to uh, donated items once they hit thrift shops in the United States. I do know that thrift shops receive a lot of damaged and unusable items that never make it to the floor. They're immediately sent off to be recycled in some other way. Um, and that clothing in particular is often bundled and stuck into, uh, sent to fabric recyclers, for example. Um, the damaged, anything that's obviously damaged or dirty will end up in that position where it's where it's recycled, as you were mentioning. Most of the stuff that is, if there's anything with mold or anything on it, it goes straight to the the landfill, most of it. Right. And that's that's the other portion of it for things that are damaged in that way. And so it's, and people donate trash, like yes. literal trash, which stuns me. I don't understand how you can feel good about that. I think there's, there, there seems to be some sort of mindset that says, well, if you're sufficiently poor, you'll take garbage clothing and that'll be fine. But that isn't really what's happening here. Now, there are also for your donated items, just as a, a different side note on that, there are other charities to donate your clothing to where those clothing are reused. Um, there's a number of charities that do things like provide prom dresses to teens who can't afford them. Um, some of those focus specifically on fat teens instead of just teens in general. There are programs for uh, women who are exiting abuse shelters or other things to reintegrate in a different way in society to provide them with interview clothing or work clothing to continue on. There are definitely lots of charities that will accept your maternity wear and reuse that wear, um, suits for men, things like that. There are lots of ways to repurpose your clothing if you're not going to refashion for yourself that actually end up being used by a human to try and improve their life down, yeah. down cycle without going through the the thrift store in the United States where you've got that 10% chance that that'll be sold in the course of the four weeks it's there. So there are some other options. When, yeah. when my mother moved into her nursing home, we donated, I don't know, 20 giant garbage bags full of her clothing, all of which were work appropriate in great shape, many of which were new with tag to charities that help fat women have clothing they can use for interviewing and for working. And so there are definitely some good things you can do with that. That's true. Uh, and actually, you reminded me, whenever I have a coat that I'm getting rid of, I give it directly to a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. Because although Goodwill, like I said, does lots of good work and helps a member of my family even, they do charge for those those items. And when it comes to, you know, in Baltimore, it's very cold in the wintertime and people need coats and blankets. And so you can give coats and blankets directly to homeless shelters if they're... Now they weren't accepting them some sometimes during the pandemic, but I think that's all lifted now. I think they mostly will accept these things. And so that's a good idea. One thing to consider if you donate to a homeless shelter, you should ask them what they need because a lot of times most of the donations to any area is women's clothing and most of the people in homeless shelters are men. And and so a lot of that clothing just gets gets trashed depending yeah. on always know your market, always know where you're taking it and whether or not you think it's a thing they're going to, going to have need of because, because it doesn't do anybody any good if you're, if you're mismatching what it is you're donating to a service that has no need of it. So that's definitely good advice and not always something even I think of when I'm loading up my car with donations to, to consider, I make sure they're all in usable condition, that they're clean, that they're mended, that they're whatever, but I don't always think it through to the, the next stage is the place I'm taking it, the one that's most likely to be able to make good use of it, as opposed to the one that is most directly on my route. 
That's exactly true. And I'm, I'm the same way. I need this out of my house and I want it to be done today. I don't want to have to have it in my living room tomorrow. I want it to be gone. And so, you know, I think at least I'm giving it to goodwill. And I, I guess I don't, I don't think enough about that. There's a lot of things that I could actually, you know, things that are too large for me or too small for me that I could give to, like you said, um, I think the YWCA here accepts donations for mm-hmm. people who are, you know, leaving abusive marriages or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about is the ethics of purchasing things from thrift stores and refashioning them and what that what that may or may not mean and what's going to make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable about it. For a while, there's been for for many years, actually, there's been a visible trend on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube of makers, particularly sewists, who purchase a, a denim jumper that's, I don't know, eight sizes bigger than they are, and refashion it into an adorable sundress for themselves. Um, these are primarily slim, primarily white sewists who are taking items that are based on the videos I've watched, something they consider to be hilariously oversized, and turning them and frumpy and whatever other things they want to use to describe it and turning it into something really fashionable for themselves. And there's the complicated feelings that fat people and fat sewists in particular may have about that are that there are relatively few items that arrive at the thrift shops in the United States that are for fat people. Um, When they do arrive, they're often poorly um, sorted. So at my local Goodwills, there are probably a dozen of them within an hour drive of my home that I might might go buy. And in the cases of those Goodwills, generally, their clothing is sorted um, by uh, genders. So they'll have a male section and a female section. They may have a male and female child section, but it may just be children. And within the uh, sections by gender, they may separate them out further by pants, shirts, dresses, skirts, something like that. Um, most of mine are tops, bottoms, and things that hang from taller rods. <laughs> That's kind of your choices. <laughs> and um, in the tops, bottoms, and things that hang from taller rods, your size choices are small, medium, and large at half of the ones I go to. They don't even have a section they call extra large. And what that means is anything they deem as as large or bigger is in that large section. And you can spend an hour going through every single item in the shirt section and find 14 different tops that might be right for you, or you may find one. Um, But you'll have to go through all 400 items that they have in that area in order to locate the one that might be the appropriate size, because they aren't generally set up to cater to that. They don't have it nearly well enough organized for that. What that means is that if you have a fat person who's looking for garments, because this is where they can afford to shop for those garments, if 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 we are taking them as sewists in order to refashion them, we may be impacting somebody and their ability to, to find the clothing they need at the prices that they need. In addition, if we just assume that all, all people buying large size clothing at Goodwill are planning to refashion it, Because like many items at Goodwill, a lot of it is very much a prior season's fashion sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you assume all of those are being refashioned, the larger the sewist, the more they need garments like that, that they might be able to turn into fabric to be able to use for something. Um, And so there's, there's some feelings about that. 
Doesn't mean they're right or wrong, but there are definitely feelings about that. And I know for me personally, my frustration is less about who's buying it and what they're doing with it and more about the tone of a lot of the videos about refashion that I've seen that really seem to hinge on making fun of. (laughs) I, I, I can see that. I, I I can feel that actually, because I see that and it, you know, you watch it and you kind of go, ew, you know, and like, okay, that's just, it just doesn't seem very nice. Even to be honest, when sometimes they'll just have a large man's shirt and they do that. And it's like, I'm sad when it's like this. And then, you know, they turned it into something nice. And I don't, I think it's uh, a lack of them thinking about how somebody who would actually fit into that or whose garment that might used to have been would feel about that. Um, but so, I, so yeah, for me, part of it is just that icky feeling that I yes. seem to see mostly associated with it. But I also understand where there can be frustrations on the part of fat people or fat makers um, as they see uh, an ever dwindling supply of possibility for fat garments at thrift stores and then an increasing supply of people remaking those items. So I think from a personal perspective, I, you know, I, I get it. I understand why folks would choose to do that. I have done the same with sheets, which is another thing where if you need sheets and the Goodwill's where you can get them because sheets are expensive. If you need sheets in the Goodwill's where you can get them, it's a shame that people buy them and cut them up. But at the same time, if something's only got a four week shelf life and there's, there's value in getting that money into the Goodwill's hand for other good purposes. So I, I don't know. I, I find it complicated. I don't know that I have really passionate feelings on one side or the other, except for the part where people should be nice to each other and maybe making, you know, fun of the size of the garment you found and the fashion sense of the person who donated it is perhaps less kind than I would yeah. prefer to think my making community is. And I, I think that we also, when we take an item, I think that, um, now this is going to sound a little Marie Kondo hoo-hoo, but, um, you know, the anything we get in a thrift store has been through many hands. And we need to remember the hands that made the gar- All of our clothing is handmade. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we as sewists like to use hashtag handmade, but everything you buy from the cheapest $5 or $1 t-shirt from Old Navy up to the fanciest couture thing is handmade. So somebody's hands made that for you. And somebody else had it and their hands were on it and they washed it and they, you know, folded it and put it away. And so um, maybe just even having a respect for the life cycle of the clothing helps out whatever your choice is. It makes you a little kinder to the other people who, who may be witnessing that there, there is also people talk about the ethics of wealthier people buying thrift store items when poorer people need those items. Um, I think this is less argued in the United States because of the massive availability of very inexpensive clothing. And I think that one thing that maybe maybe uh, we should do is think more about if we have high-end clothing, if we have nice clothing that somebody could use for a job interview or something, maybe giving it to a different source would be I don't know, maybe a good idea for that, just to ensure that uh, somebody yeah. who needed it would get it. So what do you do with your me maids that leave your house? I haven't done anything like that yet. 
Oh my God, I give away so much. Um, so but I haven't, I, I haven't made near as many things as you. And I only started sewing last year. Yeah. So for me, I have a constant stream of me maids that go out and the, the intended cycle for mine is that when I'm done with it, I have a daughter who's close to my size and she gets, she gets all of it. And then she sorts through and keeps what she keeps and gets rid of other of her garments at the same time. And the next space for those is supposed to be my younger daughter, who is that smaller sewist who would be taking a larger item and refashioning it. And then when she completes her task, its next stop is the thrift store. It goes to Goodwill, or sometimes it goes to a consignment store where she gets paid Mm. for the items. And it runs through that particular path. We're not right now generally targeting things but i'll i'll say that part of that for me is i feel uncomfortable about whether or not my me maids are good enough to give to a thrift store which feels so weird to say given what i've seen in the way of quality like worn outedness of things at thrift stores but part of me feels like if i don't have a tag in it that tells you what size it is and who made it that it has less value, even though myself, when I'm going through thrift store clothing and I find something that was clearly homemade, I think, oh my gosh, that is so neat. And I'm more inclined to be interested in it because of that connection. So it's funny for me that I have a disconnect there where I feel more connected to a me-made garment I find at a thrift shop, but feel really hesitant about contributing any. Yeah. I wonder if there are any, if there's any groups that, that have, you know, maybe on Facebook or on Instagram that people put together that people could share like pictures of things in the size and people who want those items can, can be matched up, not, not for selling them, but for giving them because that would be the thing is, I guess that's what makes me nervous about sending my stuff to the goodwill. Like I don't want to be part of the problem with these clothes hurting indigenous people. I don't want to throw them in the trash either. I think, of course, everything that I'm giving is great and somebody's going to want it, but that may not be true. In four weeks time, that might not be true. That's a short amount of time. But yeah, I, I, I agree that there's some complicated things there. I do often get asked by people in my DMs on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, whether I sell my clothing, will I do a stash where I release clothing and things like that. And I, I think that same discomfort about knowing what I make is good enough for me. It's got finished Mm -hmm. edges. I've tucked in all the threads. I've done, you know, all the things you're supposed to, to make it. But there's a part of me that feels like the first item I send out, no one will ever look at me again as a sewist because they'll receive it and be like, look at that stripe that didn't match correctly. Or, oh my God, can you believe this is how she finishes her facings? And so, and so there's a be part some of kind of anonymous that, thing, although yours wouldn't be anonymous. Because, I know because they're pretty unique <laughs> and they've all been shown like right yes, on your I Facebook. Know. Yeah, I know. And so I feel, I feel intimidated by it, which I know is not quite our topic, but it's, but it's, it's an interesting sidebar on what you do with your me maids. I'd love to know what other people do with their me maids when they're done. Me too. But one thing we, we do know is that there's no ethical problem in refashioning something that you already own. You can take your own clothes and refashion them and no one will say that there's anything wrong with that. You can take your own sheets and make them into things. Yeah. 
Well, and you can take the things hanging in your closet and make better things for you. I've done that. The best example I had of that is an amazing rainbow seersucker plaid that I had that I absolutely loved. And I made it into a a very unsuccessful jumpsuit where I looked like the saddest rainbow sausage jumpsuit wearer ever. And it it didn't work for me. And then I thought, oh, I'll just sew the legs together because I used to do that on jeans all the time. And then boom, I've got a maxi skirt dress, which will be fabulous out of the same material. And I got that done and I'm like, oh no, this is okay, I guess. And then I finally said, you know, what I really need to do is to actually take it apart, use the fabric in order to make myself a thing I actually want. And I put it back together as um, a made by Ray Trillium dress, which I adored and wore for probably four or five months before I passed it along to my daughter. It was a really neat little refashion. It was very successful for me. And I've had a few other successful ones where I've taken, I've made a dress that I wasn't satisfied with and I turned it into a crop top and a mini skirt <laughs> or other things like that. It's it's very satisfying because usually if I'm doing it, it's because the fabric was so compelling to me that I can't bear it right. that I made an okay garment out of it, but not one I'd want to wear again and again. Well, I have two ideas for things that I would like to refashion of my own. The first one is that I have done a lot of distance races and I have tons and tons of shirts that they give the swag for this, right? And they're always cut in a terrible way that I don't (laughs) like the way it fits, but I have two solid drawers full of these things and I can't throw them out because some of them are for marathons and I feel proud of myself and I'm not getting rid of it. So I thought, well, what, why don't I take them apart and get decent size rectangles out of them, sew them together on grain and then make my own running shirts that are mixed up pieces of my running shirts. So they're not enough to take one into a, to take one and make it into a tank tuck. Let's say I don't like the way it's cut. For example, I want it to be So I thought I'll just make fabric out of them and then make yeah. my own. So I love that idea. That's great. I, I like it. And it, it lets me be sentimental at the same time. I think that's a fabulous idea. I, I really love it. What I've done with my t-shirts that are meaningful for me is, is uh, refashion them into underwear. That's smart. And so I can use, if there's often, there's a small front pocket design that ends up on the front of the underwear. And if there's a central design on the front or the back that ends up on my ass. So that's, (laughs) that's my path for it, but it gives me something usable. In addition with some, I will refashion them into t-shirts that fit how I want them to fit. Yes. Either by adding racing stripes up the side, if I needed to add some space or by um, cutting them down. Now, can I ask you a question about that? When you yeah. put the racing stripes up the side, how do you account for that in the armpit? I actually take the racing stripes straight out the armpits because the odds are very good. If it doesn't fit my hips, it's also unhappy on my uh, underarms. Oh, so you could just cut straight up going yep. just like you sew them up. You straight yep. up from cut the straight hem up like you sew them up. all the way through the arm and then put yep. a stripe, just a long rectangle. Yep. A long rectangle of two or three inches, whatever it is that I need to make it work. Yeah. I totally should have done that with this dress. (laughs) So that's, that's my path for t-shirts that are too small, but yeah, I, I agree. That's a good refashion. What's your other one? Oh, my other one is I made a dress and I don't like it. It doesn't look good. 
Anyways, it uses a lot of fabric. So I would like to make a, um, like some kind of top out of it because the skirt has a lot of fabric. I can do that. And right. what I happen to notice is that, okay, who makes the Ogden cami? True bias, I think. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll just- I think it's true bias, okay. yeah. So they make the Ogden cami, and their larger size range of the Ogden cami has a model of Veronica. So nice. I can make the Ogden cami with that dress. It'll count for- PF old is new, and it also count for PF represent. And would it count for sew your stash summer if your stash was already a dress? It should, I think. Okay, I yeah, think. you I can mean, make up the rules oh, on that. Oh, but then I wouldn't. No, it won't because I have to buy the pattern. But that was one of the things that I said I would buy. Is a if pattern. you had to buy it for yeah. us, yeah, for our, for our show. I mean, naturally, I the can punk rockers. Anything for the punk frockers, for sure. Um, I can definitely see that. For me, I have two or three dresses that shrunk more than I expected them to when I made them. And they all shrunk in length, so they still fit my body, but they're shorter. Okay. And my refashion is going to be adding either a contrast band, so cutting off, say, six inches above the hem, and then adding a contrast band of some sort okay. in between or adding a ruffle at the bottom or something similar in order to gain some more length. So the contrast band would go, like you're saying you would put it in between? Like yeah, so, so I would have like regular dress. color, contrast, and then regular color. Yes, con regular color, contrast, regular color. So then that part would have to be straight part of the skirt. Well, it wouldn't have to be a straight part of the skirt because I would cut the band at whatever angle the side seams required. Except for then your bottom part won't be big enough anymore. No, because I would, I would be refashioning the, oh. so you'd cut it apart. You'd lay it out on your table so that you know exactly where your pieces are going to go. And you might be changing the angle on the rest of it, right? But you'd be changing the angle to make it work. Okay. Now, to be fair, the two of these that I have this issue with are both sagebrush dress hacks. Okay. And they both have very straight skirts. So, uh, okay. so it's not going to happen to matter. But I used to have to do that all the time for my daughters when they were growing up, taking A-line dresses that I needed to add six inches to. And it would change potentially the, well, it does change the width of the skirt overall, mm -hmm. but they mostly needed length. They didn't need additional width because they were both pretty twiggy as they grew up. Okay. That's a good idea. That's a good idea to so, make something into something more wearable for you. Yeah, because I, I don't mind a short dress, but I can't wear them to work. Yeah. And I spend most of my time at work. So it feels like if I can't wear it to work, I've screwed something up. So <laughs> except for your crochet dress. That was I mean, that's awesome. definitely not going to work. Um, <laughs> you know, not this job for sure. It's a nice dress. I really like it. And I'm looking forward to I have a white open lace fabric, a creamy open lace fabric. And I'm looking forward to doing the same with that. I think I'm going to make it less drop wasted though, than I did the last one. And I'm considering a gourd skirt instead of a, instead of a gathered skirt. Nice. So I've got a plan. I don't know quite how that's going to come out. Cause I've got, as always, I'm about six items ahead in my head versus what I have cut out. So, but that's, I think that's most of what I'm thinking about in terms of something um, for this new challenge. PF old is new. I think this is, 
that's kind of the direction I'm headed. As always, I expect there will be some changes along the way, but yeah, we'll change. But I'm excited about it. I think it's neat because I don't often take the time to think about how to improve the things in my wardrobe that eventually I'll just give up and give away. Well, you know, <laughs> even I though think, I would like to use them. For me too, I have a bunch of things that I've noticed that I'm like, I really. I put it in a box. I want to do something with this, but I'm always on to the next new pattern. So this will yep. give me a chance to actually focus on, on something that, that I, that I want to do. Absolutely. And of course, as you noted, people can double up here by using patterns that are represented by um, a, a diverse base of models. And that'll give you the opportunity to enter for the $150 gift certificate that we have to the fabric store that we'll be giving away at the end of the summer. So that's that's a really great opportunity. We haven't had as many entries, I will say, as I would have loved to have seen. It was not a record-breaking month for entries unless something happens in the next 24 hours. But there have been some really great conversations about the topic, which I think is even more important than the number of entries for PF represent so far. Yes. And we would love to hear your thoughts on what you would like to do for old is new. We'd like to hear if you have a different interpretation of the theme. We welcome all different interpretations and can't wait to see what you've come up with. We don't know yet if anybody guessed from, from the, uh, from the clue, but I did put a uh, story on Instagram asking for people to guess. I think maybe that only lasts one day, though. I might have to run it again. So <laughs> that's fabulous, and we'll look forward to seeing those entries uh, come in so that we can we can identify who our winner was. I feel like this one's super easy, so we'll see. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think we'll definitely get some guesses that say, "Is it? Is it so? Your stash is that?" Which okay. is close. It's that's not close. perfect, that's, but it's that, it's that can pretty, be included as a winner. Pretty parallel. I was thinking that they might think that it's something to do with old people being represented, you know, and that's okay too, because I think that honestly could be, you know, old is is the new young. Um, So it could easily work. (laughs) I'm excited. Is there anything else you think we ought to get done this week? Well, one thing that we will talk about is next week we have Sue Stoney. I always want to call her Sharon Stone. I mean, and I'm sure she'd feel super honored, but yes, we have Sue Stoney, who's one of the big presences on the hashtag so over 50, definitely someone who's makes, if you haven't noticed yet, you should Yes. Um, as, as a representative for that particular uh, age group. And we also had a really fun conversation with Emily and it depends on how devilish I'm feeling as to how much of that gets edited out. Okay, so it should not, the things you're feeling devilish about should definitely be left in because honestly, when you're talking about representation, particularly for women of a particular age, I think those are really important conversations to have. I think those are are positive conversations to have. And also I listened to this in the car with uh, my husband on our commute in and I think it's adorable when he blushes. So (laughs) that's great. That's great. So I, I think you gotta I'm, leave feeling, it in. I'm feeling kind of devilish. So we should I think see. it's gotta stay in. And man, okay. if it doesn't stay in, you need to stick it up on the website. So okay. yeah, I'm gonna be, gonna be awesome. in trouble with Ginny if I don't leave most of it in there. So that's a hundred percent true. You know, I am a vengeful god. So I, I think <laughs> that's important to keep in mind. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And with that, we will see, see you, you next Tuesday. Tuesday. 
Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.